Welcome to The Bridge Online. No matter where you're worshiping from, we're so glad to have you with us. This week, Pastor Doug has another amazing message for us. So grab your Bibles and let's dive in. Galatians chapter 3, starting at the 26th verse. Let's get into the Word of God. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ, into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all. But he's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. And even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus or through Christ. Among the blessings of being a Christian is this experience of adoption. And this morning you're going to see that this, this spiritual adoption that the Apostle Paul was referring to really is a theolo- it's theological. It's teaching. It's, it's, he's teaching us about our spiritual position. And, and he uses adoption, but really adoption is a theolo- theological term. The term adoption in the New Testament means to be placed as an adult son in standing. Okay? To be placed as an adult son in standing. And it applies to where you and I are spiritually in the eyes of God. You've got to get this. It's, it's not how you view yourself, but it's how God views you. It's, it's not where you think your standing is because... Boy, we're so inundated with our human nature and our, and our culture that, that we're so used to kind of seeing our position by all different things, right? Status, money, uh, education, all these different things. And we just, we're just, we're prone, we're prone to see ourselves in these kind of molds. But the one, the, the mold that's the most important, the standing that is the most important, the, the, is how heaven sees you. How does God see you? How does the Father see you? And adoption speaks of your standing in the family of God. Now, the Galatians were tempted to follow these Judaizers and these legalists partly because they were unsure of their standing in God's family. And let me suggest to you this morning that many Christians struggle, and sometimes they struggle with temptation specifically, and the temptation with sin, and they struggle with this because they don't fully understand their standing in the family of God. They don't, they don't understand their value and, and who they have become by faith in Christ. And so this morning, we want to make this clear. We want to, we want to digest these few verses that we just read. So if you have your Bibles or if you have your notes, you can write some of these things down. We've, it's, we've, we've went through these things. We'll go through them fairly quick until we get to the main point. But we know that we are children of God by faith in Christ. Nothing else can bring us into that place of, of becoming or being called children of God except for our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's in this way that we are 
born, born again into the family of God. It's, it's, it's a, in one sense, every person on earth is, is a creation of God. We know that, not, not in one sense, in the sense. And in some ways, because of that, we sometimes say all people are children of God because all people come from the creator. But the reality is, according to the scripture, it distinguishes very clearly that you're not a son or a true child of God unless you are born again by faith. Unless you're brought into the family. You've got to be brought into this family. Are you with me? And that happens through faith in Jesus Christ. And so then the scripture calls us sons of God. And, and, and as sons of God, you have to understand this is important. This is very important because, uh, because as sons, that means you have legal rights and privileges. Got to get this. You, there are legal rights. There are spiritual legal rights and privileges that come from being a son. Notice what, what we read in the 28th verse, that third chapter and 20th verse. Paul says, look, quit, quit judging yourselves based on, the, in this case, whether you're Jew or Greek or whether you're slave or free or whether you're male or, or female. Quit, quit seeing yourself that way and identify yourself as a son of God because that's who you are. That's an important verse of scripture because this is very difficult for us. We're a very fragmented people and probably now in American society, maybe more than I've ever seen in my, my time. We're, we, we, we identify with so many things from politics to sexuality to all, I mean, status with, with money and education, all these different things that fragment us. And what Paul's saying to the Christian is forget all of that. All of those things divide you. The reality is there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's, you're not slave or free. You're not male or female. Even you are a son. And if I can get anything across to you this morning, I want you to get that. I want you to get this understanding that if you're a born-again Christian, you are a son of God. Positionally, if, if you are born again, you're a son. Now, we, we know that when you're first saved and when you first come into the family of God, your condition may be viewed as a baby or a, ch a child, a babe, if you will. The scripture speaks of a spiritual babe. So now we're talking about two things. We're talking about position and condition, okay? Position is what we're focusing on throughout this sermon. Position is where you gotta, you gotta understand and recognize who you are. But we, we do identify that there's condition, and, and, and there's a condition that when we first get saved, and there's folks in here in this room, you're just, you're a babe in Christ, right? You're saved, but you need to grow. And in, in fact, I think it would apply to all of us to some degree. We're all, if we're saved, we still need to grow. There's growth that continues to happen. However, because of your position as an adult son, you can still draw from all of the father's wealth, Right? And you can exercise all of the wonderful privileges of sonship. You got to get this. Even if you're a babe conditionally, you still have the privileges and, and you still have the, the access to the wealth of the Father. You, you get where this is going. And this is, this is what Paul's teaching the Galatians. N note the fourth chapter, note the seventh verse. He's, he says, therefore, in other words, because of this, because you're a son, you're not a slave, you're a son. You're an heir. <clears throat> if, you're an heir if you're a son, then you're an heir of God through Christ. Now, he uses two very powerful images. In the 29th verse, he says, you have, 
you have the inheritance of Abraham and you have the inheritance of Christ. Now, I want to I I just make this very real for you this morning. Could, could you imagine, in a very practical way, if someone came to you this afternoon and said, we, we have amazing news. We, we've been doing this, this research at the courthouse, and it come to find out you have an extremely wealthy relative. You, you didn't know about them, apparently. You didn't know. And, and I mean, they were wealthy. No, I mean, they were wealthy. They had some money. And not only that, there's money, they had some stuff. They had a lot of stuff. And it's all in a document. And we found this document, and, and we wanted to make sure you had it, and we're going to give it to you. And you're the heir. You have the inheritance. In other words, you're the only one left, and it's you. You're the, you're the person that the document says is the heir of this abundant wealth. And not only that, there's a lot of other stuff in here. And here's the document. Would you read that this afternoon? I got time for that. Got to get a nap later. Ball game on. Got other stuff to do. Well, could I suggest to you that there's a book that was written by the most wealthy father to ever exist. His name's God. And within his book is all of the prom- or all of the promises in all of the inheritance, in all of the blessings of God that are yours legally because of your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and say amen to that. You got to get a little life in you. You got to get a little excitement and understanding of what this really means to be a Christian. See, that's what Paul's doing. He's coming, in my eyes, he's coming and saying, wait a minute, wake up. Look at who you are. Why on earth would you go back to this other stuff? You're a son of God. You have all the rights and inheritance of not only Abraham, but of Christ. Let me me read it to you again so you can see it from the word because the word of God is powerful. If you are Christ's, this is the third chapter of the 29th verse. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If I were you, I would start studying some of the Abrahamic covenant and find out what it was that God promised Abraham. Because according to the scripture, there are some of those things that still apply to you. And then he goes on and says, you are no longer a slave but a son, and if you are a son, then you're an heir of God through Christ. Well, I want to know, I'm going to read the New Testament and find out all of the promises and blessing that come to me or that are given to me because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You see, conditionally, you, you, you don't, that, that's why we are people of faith because you've got to believe this by faith. Your condition, you may not feel like an heir of Abraham. You, you may not feel like an heir of Christ who has all the privileges of heaven, all the storehouse of heaven at your disposal. But, but you've got to appropriate it by faith, and there's no way you can appropriate it by faith if you don't see it in the word of God. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so why, why do Christians live a meagerly existence? Because they don't read the word of God, and they don't appropriate what's spoken about them by faith. 
And so, and so you take the document that was given to you, you file it somewhere, and you go on about your business, living a meagerly life, and you live like a beggar. But the document's there st- telling you what you have access to. But the person that gave you the document says, in order for you to have all this, you gotta, you got to read it and then, and then just do whatever it tells you. Well, well, you got to do what it tells you. Because, because now, think of this in the natural. Positionally, you are, a, you are an extremely wealthy person. You have the document stating it. But conditionally, you take the thing and you file it and you just go on about your meagerly life. And so conditionally, you're never walking in it. Does that make sense? If it makes sense, say amen. And, and, and this is what Paul's saying. He said, there, are, there, are, there is a privilege to being a son. This morning, the Christian does not have to wait to begin enjoying the spiritual riches of Christ. No matter what stage you're in in your faith, you don't have to wait. You can still experience the benefits and the privileges of being a son. But there is, there is understanding required. And that's what we're saying. And so Paul uses this wonderful example. This idea of, of a child being the heir of a very, of a very wealthy father. Or, or, or kind of like the example that I just used. And, and this morning, no matter how wealthy or how powerful a father may be. The infant son really can't fully enjoy that wealth because they don't have the knowledge. They don't have the capacity. And yet, everything is still theirs. Do you understand? It's, it's not that it's not theirs. It's, it is theirs, but they can't fully embrace it. Now, in the Roman world, this would have made perfect sense for those reading this letter. In the Roman world, the children of a wealthy parent were cared for by slaves often. And now think of this, think of the dichotomy, and that's what he's saying. He's saying a child could be extremely wealthy because of who their parents are, and yet they find themselves under subjection to a slave, right? They're under the supervision, supervision of a slave. And Paul's teaching in this particular condition, uh, teaching, he's teaching that that was the spiritual condition of the Jews under the law. They're under the law, but they had a promise from God. And I want to just suggest and bring it to real life for you and I that maybe aren't Jews and say this is for the Christian who lives under the bondage of sin when you don't have to. When you live live in lack when you don't have to. When, When you're living less than Christ died for you to live and you don't have to. Here's the reality. The law discipline the nation the the law was there to discipline a nation for thousands of years and the law prepared the people for the coming of christ what the law did the law did exactly what god intended it to do it revealed the need for a savior i want you to get this for a minute the law revealed our sinfulness if you go back and you read the old testament law and you read the commands of God, if you will, it will reveal to you that you and I are incapable of meeting the righteous. It it reveals the righteousness of God. And it reveals also that you're you're not capable of achieving that righteousness. There are so many laws. The standard of God is so high, man cannot achieve it. And that's what the law reveals. And so in that way, it's preparing man 
for the coming of a Savior. Because if you don't know that you have no ability within yourself to, to reach the standard that God has for you, then you don't, you don't realize you need a Savior. You're, you're confined to thinking, well, if I live, like we talked about at the beginning of this a few weeks ago, if I live better, if I live good, if I do more good than I do bad, God's going to be happy with me. That's not the standard. God's laid out the standard. It's pure holiness. And, and the thing about the law that was so amazing is if you broke one of the laws, you broke all the laws, you had to start over. It was totally impossible for man to keep the law. And so that's why there was such frustration and disappointment and why religion was so dead. Because you had these religious teachers, you got to do this and you got to do that and you can't do this. And they're pointing fingers constantly while they're not living it themselves. And the, and the average person is going, this this stinks. This is terrible. You're telling me what I have to do, what I can't do. You're always on me. You're not doing it yourself. You're full of hypocrisy. And the people were just done. They were done with religion. They, why? Because the law brought people to the place of understanding. We need someone to come and help us. We need help. We need a savior. I don't need someone else pointing their finger in my face. Maybe you felt that way. Hopefully, You've come to the place where you feel like, well, I don't need a preacher preaching my face, telling me, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do it. I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to come inside and help me. I get it. I understand I'm not supposed to be treating my wife this way. I understand that I shouldn't be parenting like this. I understand that I shouldn't be shooting this into my vein or putting this into my mouth, whatever it is. But I don't have the strength to do it on my I need some help. And that's why Jesus came. And, 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 Paul is explaining this to them. He's explaining the law was the law was not your savior. Someone telling you how bad you are and what what is sin and what isn't. We, we, while we may need that to some degree, that's not going to help us. That just leaves that's just the beginning of the story. And and so the law it it disciplined the nation, but it it set the stage for the coming of Christ. And so what Paul is saying to them is. That if you go back into the law, which is what they were tempted to do, it's not a step toward maturity. It's actually a step back into childhood. You're, you're being very immature. You're going backward, not forward. And so this morning, to make it real for us, I will say it this way. The Christian who only sees God as a disciplinarian is going back into immaturity. The Christian who thinks that God is simply waiting to find them guilty so that he can enact punishment, is stepping backward into spiritual immaturity, not forward into the liberty of Christ. What Paul's trying to do is bring people into the liberty of Christ. The one today that only sees God as a lawgiver, and that's all you see him as, you're spiritually immature. You, many of those people think they're spiritually mature because they know, they know what they shouldn't do. And they can tell you better than most people. So that, in their mind, makes them mature. But according to Paul, it's spiritually immature. Now, I, now I get it. And some of you are getting all, you're getting, like, oh man, pastor's going off the edge. The, the Bible says that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And we have a hard time believing that because we believe that it's discipline that leads us to repentance. It's punishment. Punishment will lead us to repentance. Well, God, 
Now, God can use those tools and those things happen at times. We understand that. But, but, but overall, it's the goodness of God that truly leads it. In other words, when you begin to understand who you are as a son, when you begin to understand your spiritual position, when you begin to understand all that God has done for you, all that is entailed in the blood of Christ, all of a sudden, the, the draw of sin is not that appealing anymore. That's the reality. That's what that verse means. When you start to see the goodness of God, the vileness and filthiness of sin becomes more relevant, and you don't want it. And that's what God does in the heart of a true follower of Christ, a true son. A true son doesn't have to be told over and over and over. They don't want to go to sin because they're so in love with the father. Does that make sense? And, and Paul said, don't go back to that. Don't, don't, that's, that's a step back into spiritual immaturity. But instead, walk in the spiritual freedom that Christ has come to give you. So this morning, we want to focus on that really quick. We want to talk about this spiritual adoption and the liberty that it brings. We don't talk about it enough, I'm afraid. We don't talk about the spiritual freedom and liberty that we have. So let's do this really quick. Paul, Paul in these few verses, he makes it very clear. He, we know who came for us. Who came for us in our, in our state of misery? Who came for us? In, in when we recognize that we had no way of meeting God's standard, who came for us to save us? Jesus. I need a little bit more of you. I need a few more of you to get in on that one. Who came for us when we were lost and in need of a Savior? Yeah. Amen. Okay. And, and the scripture says that he came at just the right time. That's what that verse says, at the, when the fullness of time comes. In other words, God allowed his law to do its full work. And only God knew when that was. God knew when the law, when people had just enough of the law, where they finally got, came to a place where they said, we're, this is, we're done with this. We can't, we can't make this on our own. And they came to a place where they, and only God knew that. Notice, it says, but when the fullness of time come, then God sent his son. By the way, that's going to be the same way it is in the second coming. You understand that? God knows, and the Father sees, and he said, and there's going to come a moment where the fullness of time comes. He says, that's it, that's enough. Go get him. Go get the bride. No one knows the day or the hour, but God knows, and it's going to be a moment. And just like it was a moment, think about how it was when Christ came the first time. No one expected it. No one, and bam, before you knew it, there's a Savior. And that's how it's going to be the second coming of Christ. So we know who came. We know when he came. We know how he came. We know the story of Jesus. And verse 5 tells us why he came, to redeem those of us that were under the law, right? Those of us who recognize because of my sin, I, I can never have a relationship with God. I, I can't. My, I'm completely inadequate to meet the standard of God. And so Christ came at just the right time in just the right way, according to the heart of the Father, and the reason he came was to redeem those who were under the law. And redeem means to set free by paying a price. We, the law revealed that your debt, your sin debt, was, was you were incapable of paying it. It was so large that you had no ability to pay it. That's what the law revealed. But then Jesus came and said, I'll pay it for them. I'll redeem them. I'll purchase them back. Now, in Roman times... A person could buy a slave and either keep the slave for themselves or they could buy a slave and set them free. And Jesus came and when he redeemed us, he came and he set us free. 
He, he purchased us, but then he set us free. And not only did he set us free, he welcomed us into his family. And that's what Paul's teaching. Now, I want you to get that for a minute. You went, the moment you received Christ, you went from being indebted before God, doomed to hell, doomed to the judgment of God, unable to pay the penalty for your sin and offense against him because you could not keep the law and you could not keep his righteous standards. You went from that, and in a moment, you went from being forgiven and released of all your debt and then set free and then brought into the family of God. That's what Paul's teaching. So what did he set us free from? Because we say that a lot. What is this Christian liberty that we speak of? What, what are we free from? Write this down if you're taking notes. Number one, you are free from the bondage of sin. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6 verse 14 says, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are no longer under the law, but are under grace. You have to understand this morning that, that you are free to live for God. You are free to walk out of the sin that so easily entangles you, the sin that draws you, the sin, the sin that tempts you. You have the power within you to say no to sin. That's the reality. That's what he's saying. Now, you say, Pastor, does that mean we live a sinless life as Christians? That's not what this, I've never said that. That's not what the scripture says. But it does say that the dominion of sin, that means if you're dominated by something, that means you have no option, right? If, if, if you've been dominated by something or someone in a competition, it just means, boy, you really didn't even give up. They didn't even give a fight, right? And, and, and the scripture says you are free from the dominion that sin had over you. That means now you have a fight. There's a fight inside of you. There's an option inside of you. You don't have to just go down. You, I know there, you tell yourself, conditionally, there are times you think, I just can't stop this. I just can't do it. I just can't quit. That's your condition. But if you'll begin to get into the word of God and you'll begin to understand who you are in Christ and you'll begin to believe it by faith, your, your condition will start aligning with your position. And before you realize it, you'll be like, I can stop this. I can watch what I say. I can control what I'm watching on television. I can control what goes into my body. I do have authority in Christ's name to stop this sin, whatever it is. Are you with me? You're not controlled by sin anymore if you're a son. That is your liberty. That is the freedom that Jesus Christ has brought to you. To be under the law, as it says in, in Romans 6, 14, you're not under law, you're under grace. To be under the law means that you're striving to overcome sin. And, and it doesn't take long before you get tired of striving. You just, before you finally give up on yourself. Some of you have a, a stronger will than others, but at the end of the day, None of us are strong enough. We strive against sin to the point where we just give up because, because we're just dominated over. And so to be under the law, that's what it is. It means you're striving to overcome. I'm going to do better today, God. I'm going to do better today. I'm going to follow. I know what the Bible, the Bible says I shouldn't do that. I'm not going to do it. But that's striving in yourself. To be under grace means to live with the indwelling power of the resurrection of Christ. It means, to, it means to look inwardly to Christ in you for the help that you need rather than looking to your own strength and your own ability. Does that make sense? And Paul says, that's what you have been given now. 
You have Christ inside of you. And the, the same power, the Bible says the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave now resides in your mortal body and will help you in whatever it is you face. You think that's good enough power? That's enough power. Raise Jesus right out of the grave. If it raised Jesus out of the grave, it can help you stop doing what you're doing. That's why when the Apostle Paul was struggling with something, we don't know exactly what it is, a thorn in the flesh, the scripture says, and he's appealing to God for help, and God just says to him, the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for that. My grace, I'll, you have everything you need, Paul, to do exactly what you're called to do. You will overcome this, and you can't overcome it. Are you with me? We're not under, we're not under, the, how many are thankful this morning that we're not under the bondage of sin, but we're under the law of grace? Say amen. Number two, what else are we free from? We're free, we're free from the guilt and the shame that our sin causes. You see, it's one thing to, to say and to believe and embrace the fact that I'm forgiven. But how many of you know that sin leaves with it a wake? It leaves consequences. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure everyone in this room, you've sinned in some way and then felt guilty about it. What do we do about the guilt? You can be a Christian. You, you can say, I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm on my way to heaven. I know, and still battle the guilt of something you've done or the shame of it all, right? Because that is the consequence of sin. But Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, therefore... Therefore, because having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That means, that means God does, God's not holding the, sh the, the shame and the guilt over your head. And so you shouldn't hold it over your own head. Do you see this? It means you can live at peace with God. That's, that's why when in the Christmas story... The angels are in heaven and the shepherds see them rejoicing and saying, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill to men. You know what they're saying? These, these mongrels are going to walk in peace with God. They don't deserve it. They should be annihilated. They're vile mongrels, heathens in the highest sense. They're unworthy of it all, but God through his son is going to forgive them and they're going to have peace with God. And they burst out into rejoicing and singing glory to God in the highest. They were amazed. The angels, I think they were ticked off. That's my opinion. We'll talk about it when we get to heaven. They're thinking, we, were we live in heaven. We live a perfect life. We were created to do that. These mongrels, these beings, the only part of the creation that God made that turned their back on him, spit in his face, reject him no other part of his creation including us as angels have ever done that and yet who does he go after who does he bleed for who is he pierced for them so that they can have peace that's the view of the angels in my opinion but they'll be all right when we get there it'll be fine the bible says that you have peace with god today if you're a son of god you got to let go of your shame you got to release the guilt. It's in the past. It's over. God doesn't hold it over you. Don't hold it over yourself. Let go of the shame. You have peace with God. You have freedom. This is the liberty of Christ. This is the benefit of being a son. Number three, you have freedom from condemnation. 
Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God doesn't condemn you. In other words, he doesn't keep bringing up your sin. Quit bringing it up to God. Some of you, that's how you pray. You say, Lord, I know that in 1963, I did that thing, and I know you saw it. And God's like, what are you, what are you talking about? Why are we going there? You have no faith in my forgiveness. You have no faith in the blood of Christ. You have no faith in the word of God that says your sins are separated as far as the east is from the west. They're thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. You have no trust in what I've said to you. You're going to bring up your sin? What are you bringing up your sin for? Your past sin? What are you bringing? Have you, have you asked me for forgiveness? Yeah, I did. Well, then forget it because I have. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Some of you, and, and you do that in your relationships and and other people will, if, if they want to manipulate you and they want to use you in their unhealthy and toxic relationships, they'll feed right into that. Man will condemn you all the time. Society will condemn you at the drop of a hat. That's why we have to understand that God does not condemn us if we're true sons of God. There is therefore now no condemnation. To those of us that are in Christ, who are sons, who we're not, we're not living in the flesh. We're, we're being led by the Holy Spirit. We'll get more into that next week. But we're free from condemnation. I'm thankful for that. And then lastly, number four, we're free from fear. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, powerful, two very powerful verses. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 he says, love has been perfected. That means matured. It's, it's, you're starting to get it. This is what he means. This is what John's saying. He says, you're really starting to get it when these things happen. You, you can say you understand the love of God, but here's a way you'll know when you really are starting to get it, when it's really starting to settle in your spirit. Love has been matured or perfected among us in this that we have boldness in the day of judgment. Do you have boldness in the day of judgment? When you hear a preacher or someone say, talking about the day of judgment, the day, do you have bold? Is there a strong courage in your heart that you're ready to stand before Jesus eyeball to eyeball? Are you ready? If that happens today on the way home, are you ready? You're, I'm like, Pastor, I'm ready. I'm ready to stand in front of Jesus. I'm ready to stand before. I'm ready. Well, when you, if you, if you're a son. That's a privilege that you have. This understanding is, is matured when you have boldness in the day of judgment. Listen to what it says. Because as he, capital H, that's a reference to Jesus. Because as Jesus is, so are you in the world. Here it is again. You, were, you, went, you went from a mongrel and a sinner and a dead over that couldn't pay and you were on your way to judgment of God and the punishment was hell and separation from God and you were forgiven, your debt was paid you were free and you were brought into the family of God and not only that you're now seen before the Father as equal to Christ I don't know why we got to go to church this morning <sighs> so tired come on man 
You start understanding who you are. You start understanding you're a son that I'm ready to go to church. I'm ready to lift my hands. I'm ready to worship the Lord. You're going to have another service again? Let's have more services, Pastor. Let's pray again. I'm excited because I know who I am in Christ. See what begins to happen? When you, when you read the manual and you begin to get into the fine print and find out who you are and find out what the Bible says about you. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we have, been, we have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, verse 18, we, we, we use this as a, like, I'm afraid of dying, I'm afraid of something else, but it, there is no fear in love. In other words, there's no fear of standing before Jesus. There's no fear of standing before the Father. It's gone. Like, if you, if, if you have no fear of standing before God, what on earth can possibly touch you? Like, if, if we believe what we say we believe, that if I die at this moment, I'm instantaneously in the presence of Jesus, rejoicing with God, with the Father, with all of heaven, because of who I am, do you, why do you care what happens to you? Why would you care? I mean, I step out from this moment and I step into eternity. <laughs> Do what you want to me. Say what you please. Because as Christ is in the, in, the, in the world, so am I. But there is no fear in love. Perfect love, a maturing love, casts out fear. Fear has torment. It's, it's tormenting to think that God is always after you. You know that? And some of you are living that way. It's tormenting to think that God is just simply, he's just a lawgiver and he's waiting to punish you. You made another mistake. You, you messed up again. You, you did this, you did that. And it's tormenting. It's tormenting to think that if I died today, I don't know. I don't know if I could. If you don't know what would happen when you die, that's tormenting. You understand that? And there are Christians, and they waver on this issue. Listen, if you're a son, you should never waver on that issue whatsoever. Doesn't matter what, I mean, you, if you're a son, then you're a son. You're not a son this morning, and then this afternoon you're not a son, and then later on this evening you are a son. Come on, somebody, I know that's how some of you live. You, you were a son today, and then, you know, you just didn't have a really good afternoon. You said a few things you shouldn't, and you're not a son, because clearly, you know, that's not how a son acts. And then, and then, this, after, then this evening, you repent, and now you're a son again. Either you're a son or you're not. Got to get that figured out, right? It's pretty important. But if you are, and you begin to mature in your understanding of how much God loves you, and who you are, and what you've been given, that love starts to cast fear out. And it's not just the fear of standing before God. I, I, think it, I think we can use this verse for all fear. Because now it's like, if I'm not afraid of standing before the Father, what on earth can I, what should I be afraid of? I'm afraid I'm going to lose a child. I'm afraid I'm going to get sick. I'm afraid I'm going to die early. I'm afraid. Why? You're a son. Your father has everything under control. You're positioned in heaven right now before the Father. You've already got a position in heaven right now before God. No reason to be fearful. He who fears has not been made perfect in love, though. Get this. The person who's living under the bondage of fear doesn't get this. They don't understand what it means to be a son. So right now, this morning, this isn't the, the whole 
core of the sermon, but if you're a person who struggles with fear, I'm giving you insight as to a real potential of why you are so fearful because you don't know who you are. You have no idea who you are. You come to church, you profess church culture, you say things, churchy things, you, you say, but you don't, you've not read the book, you've not let the Holy Spirit reveal to you, you don't understand who you are. And if you want to overcome fear, begin to learn and understand who you are as an adopted son of God. And all of a sudden, fear will have no grip and fear will have no power over you. Say amen and put your hands together for that. And so, so we want to end this way. Jesus came to take us from being a slave to being a son. Amen? But here's your part. You have to move from a slave mentality to a son mentality. Come on, somebody. I want you to get that really quick. You have to move. Jesus already did his part. He's waiting on you to move from a slave mentality to a son mentality. A lot of you, some of you, maybe some of you listening, some of us have struggled seasons. We struggle with the concept of of taking on a slave mentality. But by faith this morning, God wants you to take on a son mentality. Now, the best example of this is we're going to close a story that everyone knows, and that's the story of the prodigal son. How many have heard that story? Raise your hand if you've heard that story. Okay. In Luke chapter 15, I'm going to turn it, I'm going to read it because we've got plenty of time. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story that we refer to as the prodigal son story. It says, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all of it together and journeyed to a far country. And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Now, this was a good Jew. And now he's feeding swine or pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned greatly, or I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." And he arose and he came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but he's found. And they begin to be merry. You know this story. You see, because of the prodigal's condition, his condition, we 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 can debate and talk about all day long. He was ungrateful. He was unthankful. He wasn't a wise steward. He went to the father and said, just give me everything now. Just give it to me. He's greedy. He, he wasn't respectful. I mean, the list goes on and on of the things he did. And the father does it. 
And then he takes what was, what was given to him and he just squanders it. He blows it. And, and we can talk about that all day long and, and, and the sin behind all of that. And, it's, and there's sermons in that, folks. There's all kinds of great sermons there and warnings and things that you and I should be guard against and all kinds of good stuff. But, but that's not what we're focused on. He comes to a place, the son does, and he says, you know what? I've lost my sonship. That's what he says. This, this is, I'm, in other words, he realizes I, my condition, I'm not, I shouldn't even be a son anymore because I blew that. Because a son has the legal right to everything, right? The, the son has the, remember, the son has a legal right to everything that the father owns, but he knows that he has squandered that. He's blew that. He, that's Gover. And so he says, I'm not going to identify as a son anymore, but I'm going to identify as a slave because at least then I'll get fed. And some of y'all have been living that way because of past sin or whatever, some things you've done, whatever it is. And, and you want to identify as a slave. You, you still want to be fed. You still want to make it to heaven. You know, you still understand that there's a savior in sin and all that stuff and and, and there's still some things you'd like to be able to pray about. And, but, but you're living, you're just, you want to take on the slave mentality. But notice that the father wouldn't allow it. The father won't allow it. And this morning, the father won't allow it with you either. Because you're not a slave. You're a son. You're a son. You're not a slave. You may, you may conditionally feel like you're a slave, but you're not. The father doesn't see you that way. The father still saw the son. And notice what happens. He just wants to come back and be like, I'll live in the slave quarters. I'll just, just give me the bread of the slaves. Just give me enough to get by. And some of you, that's how you do your Christianity. And it's, it's under the guise, in my opinion, of this, what I would call false humility. Well, I'm just an old sinner. Whoa, 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 whoa is me. Like it sounds good to all of us. Boy, he's humble. But that's not how God sees it. It's an affront to God. I want you to understand that. It's an affront. You go around, I'm just a sinner. <laughs> this kid's laughing. He likes this. Kid likes that. Listen, you, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to offend. It's not my intention, but I, I do want to use a little bit of drama to, drive home a point either you're a son or you're not You've got to figure it out and I know that there's some teachings I'm just an old sinner saved by grace I get that and I know what I know what we're trying to say in the church but I'm trying to get you from slave mentality to son mentality and that doesn't align theologically with what's being taught you do know that right if you go around all the time identifying yourself as a sinner, what you're saying is, I'm just, I'm still under that bondage. I'm still under that, con you're still under that condemnation. You can't just have some of it, because if you take, I'm a sinner, then you got to take all of it. That means you're still under bondage, you're still under condemnation, you're still under the shame of it all, you're still under the guilt of it all. And in no way are you identified as a son then. So you got to, you got to, you got to figure it out here. Let's. Let's, let's quit. And is, is the blood of Christ sufficient enough to take you? And I get what we're trying to do. A busted up old sinner who's done some really serious, nasty, vile sin. And, and is the blood of Jesus sufficient enough to take you from that and make you a son or not? 
And, and the father says, I love this. Think of what Jesus is teaching the story. And the son comes back. He's ready to just be a servant. And God's father says, no way. You're my son. And he calls for his servants. And he says to them, go get him a robe. And notice what he does. He covers him. And that robe represents the righteousness of Christ. See, this is where we mistake. We see ourselves conditionally based on what I did. I screwed up this week. I screwed up last week. I did it. And we see that conditionally. But God doesn't see that. He sees the position. He sees the robe of righteousness. He sees the covering of Christ. The reality is when God looks at a true son, he sees the blood of Jesus. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful this morning that when God the Father looks at me, he sees his son's blood. And that's why what it says in 1 John, I don't have, I don't have, I'm not lacking of fear of the judgment because I'm, because I'm boastful or because I'm arrogant. I'm, I'm very confident without fear of standing before God because I have the blood of Jesus applied to my life. And I know that's enough for the father. Are you with me? And, and, and so he covers his son and he says, Think of it, this old, his, he's a Jew. Jews hated pigs. And he's got pig stuff all over him. He's like, the first thing we gotta do, we gotta get that covered up. And he puts a robe over him and he just, he covers it. He covers his sin. And then he does something that blows my mind. And as he says, put, his, put a ring on his finger. And this is what's amazing, is the ring signified the family authority, the father's authority, the very thing that he squandered. The very thing that he blew, the very thing that he could not manage well, that he was given an opportunity to hold for just a moment, and he just blew it. And God says, "Give that back to him. Put that ring back on his finger, because even though he blew it once, I'm gonna. He still, he still has my authority. And the ring would have represented the authority of the father, because what would have happened is if you were gonna purchase something, or if you were gonna make an edict, or something, you took the ring, and it was a signet ring, and you put it on a wax seal. That was like, that was the stamp, that was the notary, that was whatever you wanna call it, it was the credit card of the day. Think of that, he's like, here, give me my credit card back. Put him back on the account. He was never off the account. Should have been by our standard, by your standard, he would have been off. But he says, make sure he understands he's got the credit card again. He has all access to the authority and the privileges that are that come from this that, that the son gets. Think about this. And then the third thing he says, put shoes, put sandals on his feet. The destiny that he thought was gone is not gone, but it's revived. His future that he thought was over is not over because I have a future. In fact, the things that the enemy meant for harm, I'm gonna turn them for good. And this is, this is what it is to be a son. As they come and sing, I wanna end with just with, with three quick things, really quick, just they're gonna come and sing, come on. Because, because here's the difference, going from a slave mentality to a son mentality, a son has the nature of his father. A servant doesn't. You'll find that in 2 Peter 1.4, where the Bible says that we can be partakers of the divine nature of God. And a son will begin to take on the nature of his father, not the nature of the world, not the nature of the culture, not even the nature of their own natural family, but a son of God will begin to take on the nature of God. Number two, a son has a father. Now, that sounds silly and elementary, but, but it's a slave that has a master. 
And I know sometimes there's, there's, there's mixed language in the scripture because we refer to, refer to, refer to Jesus as the master. We refer to Jesus as the Lord. We, we refer to ourselves as slaves to Christ. I get all of that. And that's language that applies in another sense. But, but, but at the core of our position spiritually, we're sons. Okay? And a, and a son has a father. And, and we're going to get to the next because your, your question, the next one you say. But in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, it makes it very clear. Therefore, we're sons of God. Verse 6. And if you have the spirit of God in you, then it cries out, Abba, Father, which means daddy. It means it's an intimate word for father. Okay, so a son has the same nature as the father. A son has a father and not a master. And then lastly, as we close, the son obeys out of love, but a servant obeys out of fear. Do you understand? Go ahead, guys, start playing. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments you see that's why we said it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance when you start to understand your spiritual position as a son of God you don't want to sin I, we don't know the story of the prodigal but I bet he didn't go back to that pig pen I bet he never squandered that again I bet, I bet he thought man there's such love here there's such mercy here. There's such grace here. There's such understanding here. Why on earth would I ever want to leave this? That's what Paul was teaching the Galatian church. Why would you ever even consider going back into that lifestyle? Let's stand all over the building. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you want to this morning once you raise your hand and we want to pray with you is there anyone right here on the floor in the balcony that right now says my heart pastor I'm just I'm ready I want to give my life to Christ I want to be a son of God and I know the only way I can do that is by faith in Jesus I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now anybody in this building anywhere the rest of us why don't we take a moment and just ask this is what I'm going to ask you to pray in some way ask the Holy Spirit starting today with this sermon and then moving forward to begin to show you because there's a lot in this there is a lot you can hear it and say yeah I agree with that yep that's right yeah 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 but but you got to to change the way you walk to change the way you talk to change the way you live it's got to settle in your spirit and you need the help of the Holy Spirit for that. Because everyone will walk out of the room if I ask you, did you understand what I taught? Yeah, Pastor, I understand exactly what I taught. And then you go right out the door and you, nothing happens. It's got to settle in your spirit. The Holy Spirit has to show you. has to make it real to you. So why don't we take a minute and just at the altar, at your seat, let's, let's pray. Let's make that up. Holy Spirit, make this real to me. Show it to me. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you did, make sure you like and share on social media to help spread God's word. If you'd like to learn more about The Bridge or you'd like to give, you can go to our website at thebridge129.org. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.